Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 76, Shotgun Choke Tubes and Turkey Shotgun Loads with Jay Wayne Fears. And I am your host. You know, the start of the first half of turkey season in Alabama has been very interesting to say the least. I started the season off pretty hot the first week, and then I hit a little bit of a dry spell. Remember me telling you last week about taking my nephew hunting, and he said that he could smell turkeys, and I told you if I could take him to the woods with me every time I went, that I was sure I'd break the dry spell. Well, I broke the dry spell without my nephew's magnificent nose that he uses to detect where turkeys walk. So I feel pretty good about myself by being able to do that without him. Well, my little dry spell ended midday Friday after calling in a nice tom for Cassie Scott with NWTF. And you may remember Cassie from an interview I did with her on episode 59, Helpful Turkey Hunting Websites. You can hear all about our exciting hunt on my new podcast called Spurred. Spurred should debut over the weekend. And for those of you who have already inquired about Spurred, I will be in touch with you as soon as the first episode is uploaded. Now, if you're interested in my Spurred podcast, then text the word SPURRED to the number 44222. That's S-P-U-R-R-E-D to the number 44222. And I'll be sure to email you as soon as the first show is posted and let you know when you can subscribe. Now, when you subscribe, you'll receive access to every single episode and every single hunt that I go on this season. And just a hint as to what you'll get when you subscribe to Spurred, well, here is the show description. Join turkey hunting addict and host of the Turkey Hunter podcast, Andy Galliano, as he narrates recordings of his 2016 spring turkey hunting season. Come along and experience all the highs and lows from an entire turkey season. Learn tactics and strategies Andy uses to have successful turkey hunts as well. So that's a little bit about what's going to be on the show, but you're actually going to be on every hunt with me and at least get the audio of what's going on with narration of those hunts. Cameron and I are working on putting the final touches on the cover art and getting some episodes ready as well. I forgot how much work all of that really is, but Cameron's been a big help and we're getting close. And hey, speaking of Cameron, he killed his first turkey in Alabama this week, so congratulations, Cameron. If you want to shoot him an email, his email address is Cameron 
That's C-A-M-E-R-O-N at IamTurkeyHunting.com and tell him congratulations. He's very excited and I know he'd love to hear from you guys. Speaking of hearing from you guys, you know I hear from a lot of you. Tell me how much you enjoy the show. And I'm very thankful for all of you guys who do that. It really means a lot. Now, I also get lots of questions from you as well. And I always enjoy helping you guys out as much as possible. You know that. When turkey season rolls around, though, it gets harder to answer those questions in a timely fashion because I'm in the turkey woods and because the number of questions increases dramatically. Of course, makes perfectly good sense, doesn't it? So, I'm going to start hosting a weekly webinar that I'm calling Wild Turkey 101 and Q&A. Now, in this webinar, I'll try to answer any questions that you guys have or help you with scenarios or even problem birds if you have those. So, if you're interested in joining me on this week's webinar, then text the word Wild Turkey 101 to the number 44222. The webinar starts at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time and we will go for about an hour. And just so you know, I'm going to enjoy a glass of Wild Turkey 101 on the rocks and let you guys ask as many questions as we can fit into an hour-long webinar. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that you'll join me this Sunday. I believe the date is the 10th of April at 8 p.m. Central. Oh, yeah, and I'm only opening the webinar up to 10 participants. And I'm doing that so I can be sure to give you guys as much help and detail as possible. So, if you want to be one of the 10 to join me on this week's webinar, go ahead and text the word Wild Turkey 101. It could be one word or three words, it doesn't matter, to 44222 to get the link to the webinar emailed to you right away. Okay, speaking of questions. I got one from Ben Carlson this week that I want to read an answer on today's show. And I also want to read Ben's review that he left on Stitcher because what he wrote in the review made me laugh out loud. So first things first, I'm going to read Ben's review to you. I thought it was quite humorous. So Ben said, five stars, excellent content. When I first discovered the Turkey Hunter podcast, I was extremely skeptical when it came to thinking of rednecks podcasting. But upon listening, there are two things that become very evident after a few episodes of this podcast. And they are that Andy has incredible passion for hunting wild turkeys and that he will do whatever it takes to make his listeners better wild turkey hunters. This podcast is truly an invaluable resource for all pursuers of the long beard. Ben, Thank you very much for the review. The reference to Rednecks Podcasting, I believe that I fit that bill pretty well. So I will take that as a compliment. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. Hey, if I'm going to call you guys from Pennsylvania Yankees, then fire away. If you can't laugh at yourself first, you are not entitled to laugh at anyone else. That is my number one rule in life. So, Ben, thanks for the review. Now, let's get to your question. Ben said, Andy, hello, my name is Ben Carlson. I'm an avid listener to your fantastic podcast and newly afflicted turkey addict. He has in parentheses, I got my first gobbler last season. Congrats on that, Ben. I'm excited for you. That's awesome. I'm contacting you in regards to something that has been weighing on my mind regarding the upcoming Pennsylvania spring turkey season. I'll start off by saying that I work third shift at my place of employment. 
which means my workday ends at 6.30 in the morning. While this means I can literally leave work and head directly to the turkey woods, it also means that I'm forced to remain at work while the woods start come alive and the birds are pitching down. He has in parentheses here what I imagine purgatory is like, and I think he's dead on. If that's not purgatory, I don't know what is. So his question is, is there any advice you can offer to me since I likely won't be getting to the woods until around 7 a.m.? Obviously, I'd take some vacation hours if I could, but it's not really an option. Anything you can recommend will be very much appreciated. Best, Ben. Ben, here's the deal. There's something about being in the spring woods at daylight when the world is coming back to life. The Tweety birds are waking up, the owls are hooting, the crows are calling, and the turkeys are gobbling. To make you feel better right away, I'm going to tell you this. I have been a part of hunts that involved shooting at four turkeys over the past three weeks. None of those turkeys were shot at right after flydown. I killed a turkey at 8.30 one morning, called in a turkey that was missed at 9.30, killed a turkey at 12.30, and called in a turkey that was killed at 11.30. Do not get discouraged because you're not going to be in the woods right at daybreak and at flydown. In my opinion, the hunting is just as good, if not better, mid to late morning than it is right after flydown. And that is especially true early season. So whenever you can get into the woods, get into the woods. It doesn't matter what time it is. The day that I killed the turkey at 12.30, I incorrectly set my alarm clock. And I woke up around 7.30 or 7.45. It had been daylight for about an hour and a half. I threw on my clothes and I ran out the door into the woods and I struck a turkey at noon. So get out there and hunt. A lot of times, mid-morning, late morning, the gobblers have managed to get away from their hens in the early season. Or maybe they've bred the hens and the hens have eased off and left the gobbler alone. And he's lonely and he's looking for love. And Ben, you should be that gobbler's lover for just a little while. So don't get discouraged about it. Man, get out there and chase those birds. It does not matter if it's 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Go get after them. Okay, I've already gone over a lot of info this week. I hope you guys grabbed a pen and have written down some of that about the new podcast and about the webinar coming up this Sunday. But I'm ready to get into today's interview. And I am really excited to bring you this interview because it is jam-packed with information. Information that I love to talk about, and that is shotgun loads and turkey chokes. Since you probably needed that pen and paper to write down the words and the numbers that you need to send to register for the podcast and the webinar, you may want to just hang on to that because you're going to want to take notes as J. Wayne Fears talks to us today. This stuff is fascinating to me. Maybe that is the case because of how far shotgun ballistics have advanced in the past decade. And I tricked Wayne into joining me on the episode because he is very knowledgeable on the topic. And if you're a regular listener to the show, then you know who Wayne is already because he's been on the show before. And if you don't know who Wayne is, well, Wayne is a wildlife specialist a wildlife and outdoors writer who's written for a ton of outdoor magazines, hunting magazines as well. Wayne has had over 5,800 magazine articles published. 
Wayne was also the chief wildlife manager for a local paper company where he managed 500,000 acres of forest land, a half a million acres of forest land. And I think he said 31 books. He is a very popular speaker at outdoor events, and he stays extremely busy. So I'm very excited to be able to have gotten some of his time from him. Now, without any further delay, here's the interview you want to hear, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to tell you that I have on the line with me for the second time for this show, Jay Wayne Fears. And Wayne is going to talk to us today more about guns and chokes and shotgun shells than we got into in the first episode. And for you guys that did not catch that episode, you missed a great one. It is episode 47, and I highly recommend you go back and listen to that one. And then you might want to jump into this one just to get brought up to speed. But Wayne is, well, Wayne is, I'm borderline calling you a ballistics expert, but that would almost make you a scientist, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been called that before. <laughs> well, I will say this much. As far as guns and ballistics go, I'm going to put you up there in the 90 to 95 percentile of what the population knows out there. And especially when it comes to shotguns and the ballistics associated with that. And so I do want to get into this, but I want to, and Wayne, you and I talked before the recording that we want to keep this fairly simple, but we want to dig in a little bit deeper than what we did in the first call as well and talk some about some of these quote-unquote high-tech shot loads and that kind of stuff. Right. But we're not going to get high-tech with our description of all this and put everybody to sleep or you know, bore them to tears with numbers and that kind of thing. So I guess I'm going to jump right in with the first question and give you the same one I ask everybody. How are you and where are you? Well, I couldn't be doing better. I'm unfortunately sitting in my office instead of being outside up here at Bader Knobs. <laughs> I would love to be out this afternoon. It's a gorgeous afternoon, and uh, it's the kind of day I'd rather be on the tractor side sitting at this desk. But it's a pleasure to be on your program, and so I'm glad I get to do this. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure having you, and you're one of the people in the industry that I look at, and anything that I read that you write, I know I can take the heart as being factual, and so that is much appreciated with what you do, and I'm just glad to have you on the show again. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I think the last time that you and I spoke, I was not doing this particular segment, so this will be new for you, but I've got a little thing that I'm calling the rapid-fire Q&A, and what this is is 30 questions that I'll run through and ask you, and they're just general questions about mainly your preferences about turkeys and turkey hunting and equipment and that kind of stuff, and I've done this with several guests over the past few months, and I've been timing everyone that's come on and done this, and if you want to play along, I'd like to run through these 30 questions with you, put a timer against you, and see if you can beat Rob Keck's time <laughs> of 2 minutes and 33 seconds. But these would be off the top of my head, but you can fire away, buddy. All right. Well, I'm going to start the 
stopwatch here and as soon as I get the watch started I will start with the first question and we will run through these things as quick as we can. Alright, how many full body turkey mounts do you own? Two. How many turkeys did you kill last year? Ten. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg or wing bone? Diaphragm. Wild turkey, grilled, baked or fried? Fried. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat with cola or with water? On the rocks. Number of grand slams? Eight, as I can think of. The make of your shotgun? PC. The make of your favorite shotgun turkey shell? Federal. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Have you ever killed a jake? Yes. Do you prefer a 10-minute successful hunt on a 2-year-old or a 4-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a 4-year-old bird? 4-year-old bird. Your favorite camo pattern? World War II. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dog. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? Two. 30-mile-per-hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season. Are you hunting or sleeping in? Hunting. The state you killed your first turkey in? Alabama. The state you killed your last turkey in? Mississippi. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceolas? Osceolas. Osceolas or Easterns? Eastern. Easterns or Merriams? Merriam. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Private land southeast. Two and three quarter inch, three inch or three and a half inch? Two and three quarter. Four, five, six or blended shot? Sevens. I knew that one. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods. Pump or automatic? Shotgun scope, rifle sights, holographic sight, or beads? Scope. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Leather. You roost a bird this afternoon, and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt in the morning? Hunt in the morning. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Missouri. Wow. Wayne, you tore that up. <laughs> Is that 30? Two minutes and 13 seconds. That big kick, that's the main thing. You you not only killed him, you stomped him. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I hope he finds out. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you this, Rob Keck stomped everybody else. That's good. He beat everybody by 20 seconds that had done this before, and you just beat him by 20 seconds. Uh, it's interesting to do this because it doesn't give you time to second-guess yourself. Well, it doesn't, and there are questions that I feel like if you and I were just sitting down having a, a drink of wild turkey on the rocks, yeah. these would be questions I'd ask you. Uh, we so, could probably talk a lot more about them than I just did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe one day you and I can actually do that. Yeah, that's good. I look forward to it. That'll be a lot of fun. Well, good deal. Well, let's get into this thing because I want to talk about what our shotgun shells and our chokes are doing in our guns because I really feel like it's information that we need to know probably before we go out and buy these chokes and buy these shotgun shells and go to the range and shoot, at least the basics of it. And with season rolling around for the majority of the country, it's going to be starting here soon, you know, I really feel like if we can lay some of these basics out for people that we might get people to where they're maybe rethinking the the choke that they've had in their gun for 10 years and shooting the same shotgun shells that they've been shooting for 10 years. Not that there's anything wrong with those choke and shell combinations, because if they're still killing turkeys, that's really all that matters. But technology's come a long way with these things over the past several years. So, you know, most of the people who are going to be listening to this show 
are going to be buying their shells, shotgun shells, at a local sporting goods store or a big box retailer. In some of these states that we have people listening to the show in, like Indiana and Michigan, those people get one bird. Well, if they're a better shot than I am, they're only going to shoot once a season. So that's pretty much it. You know, a box of 10 shells might last those guys three to five years or maybe even longer, and that's perfectly fine. But there are a lot of us out there, like myself, who want our shotgun and shell and choke combinations to be very deadly accurate, and we want those patterns to be very consistent as well. Well, we always with and, gobblers. Uh, yeah, you're right. we, we want to make good, clean, one-shot kills. Right. And anytime That's we right. can take technology and advance it to where we make more and more clean, one-shot kills, the better off all of us are. You're exactly right. So let's talk some of those basics first, and I want to talk shotgun shells real quick. So most of the boxes of shotgun shells that we see at the stores have a set of numbers on the side of the box. And we know what some of those are. They're going to be the gauge, length of the shell, feet per second, velocity, the size of the shot, and the weight of the shot in each shell. And I know why the gauge and the length of the shell are important, and I'm sure everyone listening to this episode does. And if they don't, they might ought to stop listening to this episode and go learn a little bit more about shotguns and ammunition for them. But why are any of the other numbers that are on the side of that box important, and what do those really mean to me in terms of hunting and turkey hunting especially? Yeah, those numbers are extremely important. It gives somebody that you know, has just done a little bit of looking at ballistics, ballistic tables, it tells them a lot. You know, first of all, the number of ounces that your load is tells you how many pellets you're going to be sending down range. That's the first mm-hmm. thing. Second thing is it tells you at 1,100 feet per second or 1,300 feet per second or whatever. <clears throat> that tells you the speed those pellets are going to be going down range. Somewhere on that box, it's probably going to give you some information about, you know, is, is this uh, really heavy shot or is it lead shot or whatever. And that's right. going to tell you a good bit about the problems you face with, in case of lead, deforming as it go, takes the trip down the barrel. So when you start looking at these numbers and information that's on a box of shot shells, people really should pay a lot more attention because it's it's telling you what you can expect out of those loads given you've done your homework with your gun, you've choked you, you're being able to estimate distances fairly accurate and that sort of thing. Right. What, as far as the feet per second, is faster better? Yeah, well... You're looking at downrange energy, and it's easier to talk about downrange energy on big game than it is turkeys, but right. it's still important with turkeys. I was working, doing a lot of research work with Winchester way back, and we really wanted to know how many foot pounds of energy it's required in one, at that time, lead pellet to penetrate a turkey's skull or to sever its spinal column, because that's really mm-hmm. what it's all about. Right. And they did a lot of research at Nilo Farms up in Illinois, and they came up, it takes 2.6 foot-pounds of energy for a lead pellet, or for any pellet for that matter, to hit a turkey and to penetrate the skull or to sever the spinal column. And that's what we're shooting for. You won't, That tells you the distance 
that your load is good for. Whenever you drop below 2.6 foot-pounds of energy, then you've shot too far at your turkey. And you're okay. probably going to knock him out rather than kill him if you hit him. So that's the first basic information we learned. And we learned that, like I say, this is back probably in the late 70s, maybe early mm-hmm. 80s. I can't remember. But that if you don't have pellets that will stay round all the way on the trip downrange so that they don't deform, if they deform, they start flying out to the left, to the right. You don't know where they're going. Right. And they've got to be hard enough to do that. Also, the smaller a pellet, the more penetration it has. I once read somewhere a long time ago that you take a pencil and you hit your leg with the lead side, I mean, excuse me, the uh, rubber side of the pencil. It doesn't hurt very much and it doesn't penetrate the skin. Turn the pencil over with a sharp edge, that little bitty point with the same amount of energy hits your leg and it hurts and it penetrates. Mm-hmm. Same thing's true with the pellets that we're shooting. So lead has its place, but for these people that are trying to expand that range down 50 yards, and I even hear people talking 60 yards, you know, today, these really, really hard, real small, fast-moving pellets is what it's all about. That's the reason right. we're going that way. You're looking for penetration. You're looking for getting enough energy down there to to kill that bird. Now all it takes is one of those, even TSS, if you shoot number nine shot, if one of those pellets with 2.6 foot-pounds of energy hits the neck, it's going to break the neck. If it hits the skull, it's going to penetrate skull. Turkey goes down, that's it. Right. Yeah. I can't remember if I told you this or not, but this has probably been a year or so ago. I was on the National Wild Turkey Federation's Facebook fan page and saw where somebody had gone on there and put a comment saying that I can't believe that the National Wild Turkey Federation would allow Winchester to put an ad in their magazine saying that I dropped this turkey at X number of yards. It was something like 70, 65 or 70 yards. You know, I dropped this turkey at 70 yards dead in his tracks. And this person was just raising all kind of cane about it. So i just put a little comment out there beside it that, you know, technology has changed the hunting industry drastically over the last several years. And if you think about it, you know, 200 years ago, you wouldn't have shot a rifle cartridge or a muzzle loader or a blunderbuss, if you want to go back far enough, more than 50 yards at a deer or a person because the chances of hitting them were not real good. Yep. And, you know, but now look at what we do with rifles and, you know, just the technology of what has happened in the firearm industry and the ammunition industry as well has really carried this thing out. And I seriously feel like people shooting the right equipment, using the right equipment, people can humanely take a gobbler past 40 yards, which was the old benchmark number. And I think that's an old number today, but... It before people just run out and go buy a box of shells off the store shelf and throw them in the shotgun and go shoot a turkey at 60 yards, you owe it to the animal. Just like Wayne was saying, you better go spend some time at the range and do your homework on that shell before you take a shot like that because none of us want to wound a turkey. 
And, so, you know, I'm not necessarily an advocate of going out, everybody going out and trying to kill turkeys at 60 yards. With the technology we have today, with the equipment we have today, a few other things go right. It's very possible to do that and do it consistently. My concern when we're talking about 60, 50, 60 yard shots on turkey, and some, like you said, some people even go beyond that, there is a safety factor. I don't want to advocate taking long shots on public lands where the target's iffy, but you go ahead and shoot. Mm-hmm. You'll kill somebody. Yeah. So, and I'm out of the old school. I love calling turkeys. If I never killed another turkey, as long as they'll let me keep calling them, I'd still go turkey on every day. And oh, yeah. I love to get a turkey 30 yards in front of me. So that's still my ultimate goal, to get that turkey inside 40 yards just because it's fun to do. But uh, now you're correct. We've got the technology today with the guns, with the loads, with using all this technology, with the scopes, everything. If a guy, number one, has got to be able to either estimate or take his range finder and know what his range is. He's got to know what the killing range of his gun is. If you, you can estimate that and take turkeys inside that range, whether it's 40, 50, 60, 70 yards, and you've got a good clean shot, and you're a good marksman, which is the other thing that we haven't mentioned. Still marksmanship. And mm-hmm. on these and, and, and that's something a lot of people are not gonna know about these this extra hard shot that we're shooting at great distances today. With the shot columns and the wads that we have and everything and the non deforming shot, you get a bird say pops out twenty yards in front of you, you're almost shooting a twenty two rifle. Right. And it is and I've done it myself. It is so easy to miss those at that those short ranges. So there's a lot, when a person's making a decision over which shells to shoot in their gun, I I couldn't agree with you more. Time spent on the range is going to answer a lot of questions for you. But the kind of terrain you hunt in most of the time is going to somewhat dictate what you should buy. Everybody Mm -hmm. doesn't need a a load. Some of the new loads are expensive as Dickens. You don't want a high-priced load to kill turkeys at 60 yards when you're hunting in these mountains where I live. And your longest shot may be 40 yards. So why right. go to all this trouble for some shots you're never going to take? Very true. That's like me hunting whitetails up here with a gun that will shoot 1,200 yards, and all I'm shooting is 150. Right. But yeah. there, there's a lot, you know, and I think this is part of the fun of turkey hunting today. We have options. When I first started a zillion years ago, we had no options. You know, he basically had your rabbit loads of number sixes, and you had an old 20-gauge that even with a double barrel and then the full choke wouldn't kill a turkey more than 25, 30 yards. That was the best mm-hmm. you could do. So you didn't have any options. You just went out, and you really did a good job of calling birds. You didn't eat turkey. But the, right. thing, the fun thing is to being able to study it. This is fun thing about off-season, spend time on the range, spend time learning a little bit about the ballistics of some of this new equipment that we got. And I think that extends your turkey season in a fashion. Right. Yeah. Well, to make that shotgun shoot these shells very accurately and shoot the right pattern that we want to shoot, it's important to have a good choke. And so I want to talk about chokes next and just touch on the basics with the chokes. So just about every choke out there, aftermarket choke, has a set of numbers that are printed on it that follow a decimal point. And 
the numbers reflect the constriction of that choke tube, but what does that really mean? What is the choke tube constricting? Obviously, it's constricting the shot, but in real-world terms, how much is it constricting it, and what does that really mean to us, the difference in those numbers that we see? Well, first of all, you got to look at a shotgun barrel to water pipe. That's all it is. Right. Now, all the gun companies would be on me for saying that, but that's all the shotgun, <laughs> shotgun barrel to water pipe. That's and, right. And then you get you buy yourself a choke tube, and it's really easy. We won't talk numbers, and I really want to go there with all this, but let's just start, use a 12-gauge. Most people hunt with 12-gauge. A basic uh-huh. diameter of the water pipe is 0.729 inches. Okay. And if you want to constrict it for just a say a full choke, let's say you're shooting uh, TSS number nines and you don't want real tight constriction. And we'll talk about why tight constriction is negative in a minute. But you reduce that 729 down to 694. And then uh, let's say you want to really get it down tight, you restrict it down to 0.689. Well, these are just numbers for somebody that doesn't really study this stuff. And the best thing to do there's several ways to approach this. You do want, depending on which load you're shooting, you do want to constrict it because you want that shot column to stay together as far downrange as it possibly will. Mm-hmm. And because the more pellets you get on the target, the, the more chances you've got of taking that gobber. And so you want a fairly tight constriction. But do a little bit of homework. Most of these companies, we got some great companies now that make choke tubes. And you can go to their websites, or you can pick up the telephone and call one of their their tech guys and tell them which shotgun you're shooting, what load you're shooting, what kind of ranges you think you're shooting at. And they can make some really good recommendations over constrictions. And rather than buy 10 choke tubes and go to the range and shoot five boxes of shells and still be confused, get get a recommendation from somebody. Maybe you've got a buddy that shoots the same shotgun and same load you do, and he's bought a Carlson's whatever uh, constriction, and he's having really good luck. That's a good place to start right there. Right. But every gun, every choke tube, every load will respond a little bit different, and nothing takes the place of a Saturday afternoon at 40 yards with some turkey, life-size turkey targets and just studying what's going on out there with your load, right. your choke tube, and with your particular gun. Now, tight constrictions with this extra hard shot is not always good. And right now, I use federal federal heavyweight, and I shoot a 20-gauge. I haven't shot 12-gauge mm-hmm. in several years now. And the constriction I use is kind of in the middle of the constriction that are available because I tried several different ones, and kind of in the middle was where that, that I shoot number sevens, that real, real hard load of number sevens patterns at 40 yards best with kind of a mid-range constriction. So there's no perfect answer. This is something you got to do a little bit of homework on. But that's the purpose of that choke tube is to hold that shot column together so that you put as many pellets on that target as you possibly can. Yeah. I know the back when I first started hunting, all we ever, back when I first started turkey hunting, I should say, all we ever talked about in a choke was 
tighter constriction, tighter constriction, tighter constriction. And now you hit on it, and I want to touch on it just a little bit more, but with these more dense loads and these quote-unquote heavier-than-steel loads, we're opening the restriction up on these chokes from what we cinched down over the past 20 years down to the past 10 years. Why is it that these more dense, these heavier shot pellets are performing better out of a more open choke tube? Well, you know, to answer that question, you've got to go back a little bit and think about, like you're talking about 20, 30 years ago, we were shooting all lead. And mm-hmm. up until fairly recently, that lead was not buffered. So you needed, you know, here you had 400 pellets, 300 pellets, depending on what load you're shooting, in this shot, in, in this uh, shot column, in this, and with the water attached to it, and you wanted to compress that as tight as you could because you're going to lose a bunch of them. They they deformed a when when the trigger is pulled and the explosion occurs in the chamber. Lead started compressing then. And as they made the, the, the trip down the shotgun barrel, they're, they're bouncing off of the shotgun barrel. More of them are becoming depressed and flattened. And then mm-hmm. when they went out the choke tube, or the choke as the case may have been, then more were flattened. So when, when they went out the barrel, they went sailing every which way. Mm-hmm. And, you, and down at 40 yards, a whole lot of them never made it there, not, at least not on paper. So the, the deal was, was try to come constrict them enough so that a whole bunch of them would try to get to that paper. Well, we don't have to do this with this hard shot. It's not going to deform when the explosion occurs, the trip down the barrel, or out the choke tube. And today we got some fantastic wads, and the shot column that the shot is in protects it so that uh, a lot of these, and I'll use federal for an example, a lot of these wads stay, their flight control wad stays right with that shot for about 15, 20, 30 feet out the barrel. Right. And you don't need it for that in this real hard shot. You don't need a real tight column. you got you got wadding, which is holding it together until it's, it gets on the path down to the target. So we found out that with super hard shot, you can open it up more and still those shot being perfectly round are going to make it down to the target and stay pretty much in a, in a good pattern. Mm-hmm. That's a real simple answer to a very complicated question. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. The wadding is holding the shot, and we want that wadding to come out of the barrel with the shot yep. on most of these new shells that we're shooting. Yep. Is that correct? Right. You want but, it at least to stay in place until you're well clear of the muzzle. Right. Okay. And by having a more open choke, we're limiting the constriction or the, I should say, the restriction of that wadding from coming out of the barrel, aren't we? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And that's the reason I guess Federal still does. I know when they first came out with this super hard shot that they've got and with the, the flight control wadding and everything, they recommended, and I imagine they still do, that you didn't use choke tubes that had slots or holes cut in them or anything because that interfered mm-hmm. with that wadding making a perfect exit. Because the thing, it's actually got little wings on it that once it exits the muzzle and starts downrange, these little wings pop out, 
and that, right. that frees the shot being perfectly round and being real hard to continue on on its track down to the target. All right. Well, I want to talk about some of these very dense, very heavy loads that are out right now, or, or I should say shots, types of shot that are out right now. And then I want to talk about some of that TSS shot that is being loaded and shot by some of the hunters today as well. What, I guess, explain the progression of the shotgun shot from yesterday's lead shot that Lord only knows how many turkeys lead shot has killed over all the years, but all the way to today's high-tech shot, what is the major difference in these new types of shot? Is it just that, is the major thing being that the shot itself is not deforming, so we're able to get better patterns and better, uh, I guess we're getting better patterns and penetration, aren't we? Yeah, well, Both. it's a combination of factors. Number one, this, you mentioned TSS and heavyweight and some of these, which, let's just go ahead and use the word, is, is a certain percentage of tungsten involved in them. TSS right. is from China, and it's almost pure tungsten. I've never asked Pedro, and they probably would never answer me if I did ask them. I don't know what percentage of heavyweight is tungsten, but I know that the tungsten's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And the reason, you know, and it all has, and we're getting into physics now, it all has to do with tungsten being so dense for a small pellet, well, a number seven is almost as heavy as a number five lead. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason a lot of people are shooting number nines of pure tungsten. I say pure, almost 100% pure. They shoot number nine shot, which is almost equivalent to uh, number six shot of lead for his weight is concerned. So you got here you got this pellet that maintains it perfectly round, traveling at a high speed, and it's but due to its density, it's carrying a lot of weight with it, and that's the reason we are getting this 2.6 foot pounds of energy at 1670 yards. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what I know how to make it because it, it is, you know, you're getting involved in physics when you're talking about all this. But it's air, you know, the smaller the shot, the more round it is, the more aerodynamic it is too. And true. You know, people who are avid rifle shooters, you get does a lot of reloading, and you know. You, ballistic coefficient it has to do with with how aerodynamic a bullet is well the same thing applies to each pellet the more the aerodynamic it is the more it stays on target and the more it maintains that speed mm-hmm. okay and then for the people who don't know we've mentioned it several times and i just ask you a question about it what does tss stand for stanford tungsten super shot Okay. Don't ask me where they came up with that. I have no idea. All right. And it is just what Wayne said. It is a shot pellet that is made almost entirely, if not entirely, from tungsten. Yep. So that's when you hear us saying TSS, that is what we're referencing. So we talked a little bit about how those heavier types of shot, those denser types of shot like the TSS and the heavyweight and even copper. I mean, a copper is not more dense, but a copper-plated lead pellet will keep that pellet from deforming as much. So we've talked about how these types of shot can benefit us turkey hunters by giving us a little bit more penetration downrange and giving us tighter patterns as well. 
so I've addressed part of the of the next question with you already, and that we talked about why the constriction of the choke is so important on these denser types of shot. But is there kind of a generally accepted constriction range for these denser type of shot that we're shooting these days? Yeah, you know. I know that's a tough question that's to answer because you're, yeah, you're you get blanketing things. You get into numbers, but um, yeah, you know, like in twelve gauge, you go from point say point six nine zero, and, and some people go tighter than that. It, a lot of people think tighter is better, which is with this hard shot is not true at all. But that's kind of the range. And then in my case, people like me that shoot twenty gauge, you look in at it being from point five nine zero to some people have gone as point six. Okay. All right. And you said in 12 gauge is, is what? 689, 690, somewhere along in there. All right. And you mentioned basically a 12 gauge is a point seven two nine open. Yeah. What is a 20 gauge unconstricted? Do you know that number yeah, off the top of your head? Yeah, off the top of my head, it, in a moment, I'll be exact on this, but I think it's point six one five is okay. considered the standard. 20 gauge water pipe. Okay. All right. And you know the, the range there is from 0.590 to 0.580 or so. And I know, and I shoot a Thompson Center Encore when I take the gun. I usually take. I have in it a 0.575. It's where with the number seven Federal heavyweight. That's where I got my best patterns. Okay. All right, and that's and, a mid-range. That's not a real tight constriction. Right. Okay. What are the number of pellets that you're putting downrange at at 40 yards and say a a 10-inch circle when you pattern your gun? Just and, and I know again, you're not going to know those numbers. No, off the top I don't of your know head, them off the top of my head, but I have a rule of thumb that that I would love to see you know around 100 pellets in that circle. Okay, and then of course the other key to that to make you smile real big is that there are no gaps in that pattern. Is yeah, that I'm looking for no holes at all in there. And when I'm doing my fine patterning, I put up, you know, a life-size hit neck target. And I like to see, I like to see about 24 pellets in the brain and the spinal column. Okay. Now, that was and that's... I heard of just a few years ago, by the way. That, you know, we used to talk about if you get four or five pellets in, in the skull and spinal column that was a good pattern and that was even back then with some 10 gauge right but now today it's with these loads i'm shooting you know it's quite possible to get 24 killing pellets in there which is way 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 overkill but you want that bird to go right down well and i'm really amazed today at the number of pictures that i see of wild turkeys that have been killed and people having their picture taken with them and the turkey's head is just bloodied up like he's been in the ring with Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and that just is proof positive what these modern-day turkey shells are doing. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's just, it's amazing. And it seems like it just really, and I know it's been a slow progression, but it seems like it's just over the last 10 years have just been like, bam, you know, here comes all this technology and what we're doing downrange at longer distances has improved dramatically from what we were doing just a decade ago. Yeah, I think you're right on target. It, the last 10 years have been amazing in turkey hunting. Turkey guns, turkey loads, 
Turkey, choke tubes, it's all taking on one giant leap forward. Yeah. You mentioned Federal being one of the manufacturers that has some amount of tungsten in their shot. What are some of the other manufacturers that are out there that you know of that are putting tungsten in their shot? Well, I really can't say. You know, I don't know, for instance, in heavy shot, you know, the heavy 13. Uh huh. I'm not sure that and they've never offered to tell me what's in there, but I would almost bet there's tungsten, there's a percentage of tungsten in there. I don't right. know that, and I wouldn't want you know I'm not a, I'm not speaking in their behalf one way or the other. But that's a good turkey load, and it works great. And uh, Remington's never told me what's in their HD load. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people are and for good reasons. They they keep this stuff uh, proprietary, and, and that's the way it ought to be. But uh, right. I just I do know that spend a lot of time with some of the federal people on hunts and stuff that tungsten is a is a base for their heavyweight shot. Okay. All right. Now one way we know we're shooting tungsten shot is to buy TSS. Yeah. And buy whatever other tungsten hybrid mixture type of shot we want to buy. And load our own shells. And now loading shotgun shells is something that not everybody has the ability to do. Not everybody has the knowledge to do it. But is there a place where me being John Doe can go and buy tungsten or the TSS shot it, or it any of those other things? It fine, but for a friend just this past week, I went on, you know, I just Googled uh, tungsten shot, shotgun shot. And mm-hmm. you, you can find it online. As I said earlier, most of the stuff comes out of China. But as far as being able to go to your local Cabela's store, Bass Pro Shops or wherever, and buy it in a bag, no, you can't get it like that. And you have to do a little bit of searching online. But it is available for those people who like to load their own shot shells. Right. It's expensive. There's nothing inexpensive about it, but... You know, and I, I haven't done a lot of turkey hunting with it, so I can't say firsthand, but the people I do know that load their own shells and use it, they just, they're overwhelmed with how good it is. Yeah. And especially on these long, long shots. I've got a friend in North Carolina that actually, he and I split two pounds of it, so I have a pound of it. It's been, you'll love this. Wayne, it's been sitting on my desk as a paperweight and a Ziploc baggie for the past two turkey seasons. One of these days, I'm going to have my dad load it for me because I don't have a shotgun shell. I don't have the reloading equipment for that, but he does, so I'll let him load it up for me. I guess one day when I'm not real worried about the wind blowing some papers off my desk. But he, my buddy in North Carolina, he's shot it in the past he's now switched over to the federal heavyweight just because of you can buy it over the counter and it's a much bigger ordeal to get the tss shot and load it if you don't have the equipment and that kind of thing so anyway he's gone to the the federal shot but he shot the tss for a couple of seasons and it was just amazing what he was telling me that it was doing to on on paper downrange at 40 45 yards and i was with him when he shot a turkey with that shot and it it just is deadly yeah i've tried it 
uh, I, I haven't hunted with it, but I've played around with it with other people on the range, and we've shot it in a ballistic gelatin. And when you see the penetration of it, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. But why some of the major ammo manufacturers haven't really gone to it yet, number one, it is from China. There are some problems associated with that. And it is expensive, and, you know, a box of five of those shells, I don't know what they'd have to charge for them, but it'd be way up there. It'll be way up there. And you've There's got, no doubt about you know, it. There's loads that are currently available at your big box store. There's some loads that are, that are so good, I'm not sure that a lot of people would ever take that extra step and spend the money. Right, yeah. And I think there's, you look at what Winchester has done with their Longbeard XR loads mm-hmm. that they've come out with, you know, and they, I can't remember what their high density or or heavy shot type load was before this Longbeard XR came out, but that's what I was shooting in my gun. It patterned great out of it. And then they just quit making it and went to the Longbeard XR, and their reasoning was this stuff has gotten so expensive that they're pricing out the average turkey hunter. Yeah. And they really went to a focus of we want to make an affordable shell that patterns well downrange. And, you know, if you had to take a shot at longer than 40 yards, you could. And my personal experience with it is that they've done it. Yeah, I but, think, you know, you reach a point of diminishing returns on a lot of this stuff. And, and I think, you, you know, we're about to top in on this really good ammunition as to what most people will pay for it. And I can't blame the ammo companies for not jacking the price up any further. Right, right. And you know, hunting's got to be affordable. Got to be affordable, and it's got to be accessible for us, being that if these manufacturers are having a hard time getting their hand on materials to make ammo out of, we're going to be out there throwing rocks at turkeys. That's right. And I, I can tell you that I'm not a real good rock thrower, and it take me a long time. <laughs> Yeah, take me a long time to get good at it. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll stick with what we've got, and we'll make do with it. But I appreciate you kind of going through that with us and getting into a little bit about these more dense loads, these high-tech loads that are out there, high-tech shot that's out there, and so on and so forth, and talking about the constrictions and that kind of thing on the chokes with us as well. You know, it's like I said when we started it, there are people out there that have been shooting straight lead shot for 30, 40 years at, out of the shotgun at turkeys and killing turkeys every year, and they're perfectly happy with it, and that's fine and dandy. They know what their gun will do. They know what the capabilities are, and they know when a turkey's within range or not within range. So it's not like you have to ditch those old lead shells and lead shot shells and run out and buy some of these heavy type loads but if you're hunting an agricultural area where you've got some fields where you may have to take a longer shot or you hunt a place that's got some straight roads on it and it's flat and you can take some longer shots you might really want to consider some of these heavy density high density loads for your shotgun and Wayne I really appreciate you taking time to go through that with us today tell us what you have going on in your world, and I, I almost said Wayne's world, but that, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold back from that one. Uh, but tell yeah. us what tell us what you're working on, what you've got 
Well, coming out anytime now. Yeah, I'm squeezing in all the hunting I can get in, and uh, always working on more books. You know, books are. I still I still do a lot of magazine columns every month, and uh, people mm-hmm. at NWTF. I'm always in there every issue and that sort of thing. But books are the biggest thing for me right now, and will be. I, I enjoy writing books. People enjoy reading outdoor books, and as long as that it works that way, I'll keep doing it. That's right. Well, I'm going to ask you a question on the topic of writing books. You can crunch out some books in a hurry. Yeah, and I'm not saying that like it's a poke at the quality of the writing because it is definitely not. You just have a lot of books that are out there, which goes to show how much you love to write. And when a book idea comes in your mind, how long usually for you is it before that book's in print or at least in front of a publisher? Uh, that's, that's really a loaded question because of that. <laughs> I've got a relatively new book out now. It's one of my best-selling books. It's it's basically a, a historical novel. It took me 10 years to write that book. But okay. then the best-selling book I ever wrote was on whitetail hunting. It sold over a half million copies. I wrote it in a week. So, oh, wow. You know, there's there's not an answer to that. It it depends on how much research you got sitting there in your office ready to go sure. and how much, yeah. how much you got to do. And it depends on whether you lock yourself up and do nothing but write the book or you do it over, as you feel like it, over a period of time. So there's not really, a, in my case, an answer for that. It's I've got 32 books out now, and each one's taken its its own time and being written, some fast, some slow, some in the middle. Right. Okay. And they're not all about hunting, just like you said. No, mine, I have a wide range. Uh, I've written everything from... I've got two or three books on survival, and I've got a book that sells real well on building a cabin in the woods. And I've got three novels out now. And I've got four, three or four turkey books out. So I've written on a wide range of things. My whole life has been doing what you and I love to talk about and do. So uh, I get exposed to a lot of things. I've even written some fishing books. So Yeah, fantastic. So where can we find some of those books it's other than easy to going find to this? My books is just uh, do a Google search to put Amazon J. Wayne Fears, and it'll take you there. Okay, yeah. perfect. Most of the books nowadays, no matter who you are, if you're a book author, you sell more through Amazon than you do anywhere else. Right, yeah. They're, they're rocking and rolling over there, aren't they? Yes, sir. That's for sure. Well, I want to encourage you guys to go and check out some of Wayne's books if you haven't already read some of them you're in for a treat and something that he just mentioned might have just flown by some of you guys he mentioned the word research so i'm just going to throw that out there as something that some authors don't do (laughs) but the one i'm talking to right now does and so when you read a book by wayne that is hunting related or anything else I'm going to tell you the man, he hunts, and he knows what he's talking about before he starts talking about it, and there are there are some writers out there who don't do that. So, Wayne, and I, I'm not asking you to make a comment on that because I know you wouldn't anyway, so I'm just at this point going to say thank you so much for your time because you and I have been going for almost an hour, and I'm very appreciative of that hour that we got from you because we've taken you away from 
writing an article or doing something else, but I know that the people listening to this show learned a lot, and I learned a lot as well, and I'm very grateful for that, so thank you. And it's always a pleasure to visit with you and your listeners, so um, anytime that we can visit again, you pick up the phone, call me, my friend. All right. I wish you much luck, and I hope to see a picture or two with you with, with a dead turkey this spring. As long as they gobble, I'm happy. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Good luck, and thanks again, and I I will hit you up for another interview sometime in the future. Thank you very much, Andy. All right. Have a great day. Goodbye. Goodbye. Fantastic. I hope you guys enjoyed that and learned as much as I did from Wayne. Wayne absolutely loves guns and ballistics, and he really knows his stuff. And like I said before the interview, I'm honored that he spent time with us to help spread his knowledge of the subject. Okay, I've kept you guys long enough this week. Don't forget to text SPURD to 44222 to get notified about the upcoming new podcast. I'm excited about this. It's going to be awesome. Also, don't forget to email Cameron to congratulate him. And don't forget to register for the webinar by texting Wild Turkey 101 to the number 44222. Before I cut you loose, you know I'm going to ask you to help me with four little things. So if you learned one thing, just one thing from today's episode, then number one, please like, forward, and share the episode on social media. Number two, please tell a hunting buddy about this show. Spreading the word about the show via word of mouth is huge, and it is greatly appreciated. Number three, please subscribe to the show. Subscribing is free, and you'll be sure to be notified when a new episode is uploaded. Number four, be sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.